0: Holy God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, which does light our way. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing us to faith and sustaining us in that faith. And so this morning, fill us with your word. Fill us with ever greater faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last week, we began our series, a mini-series, on the Reformation. The question last week was, is Scripture, is Scripture alone the authority in all matters of your faith and life? And the question was brought before you several times last week, and the question was, Yes or no? Will you stand for Scripture alone being the authority in all matters of your life? Yes or no? And the question is an important one. Because if we do not have Scripture as our foundation, then everything's up for grabs. And by our own nature, we want to rebel against Scripture because we want to say, yes, I agree that Scripture is God's Word, except this part of my life. Or when Scripture is proclaimed in the public square, people rebel against it. They reject it, because it does call out sin. Right? Amen? So what happens is, then people put their feelings, their thoughts, their emotions above Scripture. Historically, going back to the reformation martin luther saw that the catholic church by the pope's decree was putting things above scripture that they were saying that our decree our councils are at least on equal if not above scripture because what luther saw is that the church the roman catholic church was were promoting things that weren't even in scripture that were against scripture And specifically, it was about purgatory and indulgences. By the way, Martin Luther was not the first to bring things up to the Catholic Church and say that they were in error. By no means. And I also want to make clear, the Reformation wasn't about trying to destroy the Catholic Church. It was not trying to make a new church or try to find some new doctrine. Not at all. In fact, the intent... The intent was to have God's Word be the rightful authority in all matters of our faith and life, above the teaching and opinions of men. That's really the main, was one of the main focus, the beginning of the Reformation. So that's what we covered last week. If you weren't here, you got the condensed version. And for those who had forgotten, you got a little refresher, right? I know, week to week, it's really easy to forget. Okay, so we're going to get to part two now. And the question for part two is, can you earn your way to heaven? And you might think this is a little bit of a silly question, but it's not. There are more people in the churches and outside of churches that are trying to learn, earn their way to heaven. A lot. A lot. Luther tried to do this too. You see, Luther was what I would call a monk's monk. He was a better monk than most other monks. And so he did everything to the 10th degree that you were supposed to do. There was prayer, there was fasting, practices of going without sleep, of enduring bone-chilling conditions during the night without a blanket. These are all called mortification of the flesh, which is like trying to die to self. Okay, That's what monks did, and Luther exceeded at this. He said this, If anyone could have earned heaven by the life of a monk, it was I. But why would anybody do that? I mean, really, why would anybody go to such lengths? Because that was what was taught in the Catholic Church at that time. That was the mindset. You see, in his understanding and in the understanding of the church at the time, salvation was this. Do what is within you and God will be merciful. Or, in our vernacular, do your best and God will do the rest. Right? That's how we would put it. The problem is there is literally no assurance of salvation regarding that. All you have is, I work hard, and then I hope so at the end. And on top of that, the gospel that was being preached really wasn't good news. The gospel being proclaimed during that time was, be perfect. How's that for a gospel? Be perfect perfect. So, you could see how much of a burden was placed on people during that particular time. And you know what? It exists today, and I'm not even talking in the Roman Catholic Church. There are churches where it's all brimstone and fire and all of that, right? And you must do this exactly, otherwise you are not saved. In an interesting twist on that, in the Pentecostal church, some churches will say, if you do not speak in tongues, you are not saved. So what do you have in some of those churches? You have people who pretend to speak in tongues so that they can be saved. Do you understand how there is no peace, how there is no assurance? It is a burden, uh, a huge burden, burden to bear, and there's no love, there's no joy, nothing. So how do you find that joy? How do you find that love? How do you have assurance of salvation? This was a question for Luther, and he found it in Romans. He found it in God's Word. So we're going to spend our time on two verses this morning. It is this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. These two verses, 54 words in our English translation here are the core is the core theme for the whole book of Romans. So if you start to understand this, you will start to understand the whole entire book of Romans, the letter to the Romans. If you miss this, you miss the main message. So we're going to go a little bit slowly here. Okay? It starts with this way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... This is an odd way to say it. You could Paul could have written, I am proud of the gospel. But he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And you kind of have to wonder, why would he write something like that? Well, let me put it into perspective. When you have a message that the world rejects, the world will mock you and try to shame you to silence, right? And we see this a lot nowadays, that you are shamed into silence. How dare you stand for something? So uh, a number of years ago, Minnesota had a, uh, an amendment that was to be voted upon, a constitutional amendment, uh, and it was for marriage, to say that marriage is between a man and a woman. And uh, Heidi and I volunteered at the booth at the state fair, thousands of people. And we wore a T-shirt that said, Minnesota for marriage. Uh, So it was like having a target on your back. And there were a lot of people. One person even kind of chased me a little bit. But they, they threw glitter. And I mean, right? There's a lot of pressure to be silenced, to be shamed. The same thing goes with the gospel. In Paul's day, the Jews thought that he was preaching blasphemy. The pagans also considered him to be blasphemous because he was saying that Jesus is God above Caesar. So there was a lot of pressure to be quiet. But Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not one iota, not one little bit. I stand for the gospel. I will even die for the sake of the gospel. Would you? Let's be real about it for a moment, okay? Most of us easily share about a great movie, restaurant, sports team, politics now. But when there's talk of Jesus and his gospel, most people pull back, hesitate, even go silent. So you have to think about that. Why is that for you? If that's the case. Now, I've come up with a couple reasons. I don't know if it is for you, but I've come up with a couple reasons. One is actually you've never tried. Literally, You've never actually tried to share about Jesus or the gospel. And so you feel very uncomfortable even trying that. Another reason might be, well, the person might not be receptive. They might be offended. You won't have the right words to say. Or maybe you've been taught that the gospel is just a matter of preference. You know, I believe in Jesus. You believe in Muhammad. You believe in Baha'i or Hindu or whatever. It's just a matter of taste, right? Some people believe that. Or, uh, and I think this is probably it for most people, you actually don't understand the gospel. I mean, really, most people have no idea what it actually is. Because I think if you actually dealt and delved into the gospel, upon it, you too would be able to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul could say that because he knew exactly. He says this For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But you might think, well, what is salvation? See, if I asked you or if asked anybody on the street, you know, that old question, are you saved? You might say, well, if you're in church, you'd probably go, yes. But if I asked you or if you asked anybody on the street, from what are you saved? I mean, really, that's the question, right? From what are you saved? I mean, if I were a, a, a joker on the street, I'd say, well, from what? You know, I'd look around and say, I don't see anything chasing me. But most people, if you ask that, there's like a deer in the headlights sort of thing. So not only are you, what are you saved from, what are you saved for? I mean, could you answer that? Now, I'm going to guess some of you might be able to say, well, I'm saved from hell, right? And I'm saved for heaven. But is that the extent? And indeed, it's not. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to it. So uh, piggybacking on uh, one commentator. I've got kind of a a little chart here. So we are saved from guilt or being guilty for sin. Or you could say unrighteousness. And we are saved by God's righteousness. We are saved for His righteousness. We are saved from pollution. That sin, in sin, we are polluted through and through There is not one little molecule in our body that is not polluted by sin. And we are saved for His holiness. We are slaves to sin. It shackles us. But we are saved for freedom. For Christ has set you free. For Christ has set you free from slavery to sin. And we are saved from punishment, from alienation, from God, from the wrath of God, from everlasting life. You're actually saved from the wrath of God. And you are saved for blessedness, for fellowship with God, that you may walk with Him in close relationship, for the love of God shed abroad or poured out richly upon you in the heart and for everlasting life. So if you look on one side, that's all the bad news, right? And it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's really easy to look at that chart and say, yeah, I know people like that. But do you see yourself there? You see, if you don't know the bad news, there is no good news. And this is why many churches are really dead in the Spirit. Because there is no good news. Because they don't know what bad news is. It's plain and simple. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Correct? He knew it was all bad news. And then it's amazing grace. Grace greater than our sin that saves us. This is the good news. And the power is not in you for your salvation. The power is is from God It is God's power that moves you from the bad news to the good news. It is Him and Him alone. That's the power of God here. That's the power of God for salvation. You see, the gospel is God, God's power that bring those who are dead in sin to everlasting life. And this happens in God. In God alone. So why could Paul write, I am not ashamed of the gospel? Because he knew it's the power of God that he has done nothing. And it's for everyone, right? It's for everyone. It says to the Jew and then to the Greeks. But Paul later on shows us that it is more than that, because we want to say, Well, it was Jew and just the Greeks. Am I Greek? No. It means for everyone. He says in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is, neither, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how old you are, or how young you are, how smart you are and educated, and you've got a PhD, or if you barely finished high school, if you have a powerful job, or if you have just a job that has no power. The message, the gospel is for everyone. Everyone. So when we talk about this town and revival in this town, who's the gospel for? Everyone. That's good news. That's astounding news. And then Paul goes on this way. For in it... For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, just as we talked about salvation, and people really don't understand that word, righteousness is uh, another one of those churchy words that most people don't understand a whole lot. So let's just make it at a very simple level righteousness is rightness. The standard by which all things are measured. So on the screen, I have a carpenter square. And carpenters rely on that to make straight lines, right angles, measuring things, all of that. But did you ever stop and wonder? Somebody, they're trusting whoever made that carpenter square that it's correct. That there had to be some standard to even make that carpenter square. And if it's off by a little bit, the whole project's off by a little bit. Now it is the same thing when it comes to moral righteousness. We have to have a standard, a perfect standard, of what is right and what is wrong. And where does that standard come from? It comes from God himself in his word. Let me give you one example. You're all familiar with this one. The Ten Commandments. That's an example of God's righteousness for us. God's standards of righteousness for us. And we all think the Ten Commandments are are good to have, right? Have you ever tried to keep them? I mean, just one day. Just one day, give it a shot, you know? I'm going to keep all commandments. And then somebody cuts you off in your car, and you just blown it. And if you break one, you break them all. So, okay, maybe, maybe you just missed that, that one day. It was just uh, try it again. Try it another day. Try to keep them for a month, and you will be broken by the end because you can't keep them no matter how hard you try, our crookedness does not match God's rightness. Paul tried. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law. He tried hard to keep the law. But even he was broken. In Romans chapter 7, it says, Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what happens when you try to fulfill the law. So with this understanding, by the way, let's go back to Luther for a moment. See, not only did they have the law, but the gospel said you must be perfect. There's no relief there whatsoever. Ultimately, the gospel was made into the law. And a lot of people do that too, by the way. Our natural, our natural tendency, all of us sitting here, all of us, and you at home, if you're listening too, all of us have a natural tendency to want to make the law, the gospel, into the law, to make it about following rules. And when you do that, you create another burden. This is what Luther had to say. I'm going to read a longer passage. Uh, section. You've got some of it on the screen. Although I lived an irreproachable life as a monk, I felt that I was a sinner with an uneasy conscience before God. Nor could I believe that I had pleased him by satisfaction I could offer. I did not love. In fact, I hated this righteous God who punished sinners. And if not with silent blasphemy, then certainly with great murmuring I was angry at God saying as if it were not enough that miserable sinners should be eternally condemned by original sin with all kinds of misfortunes laid upon them through the Old Testament law. And yet God adds sorrow to sorrow through the gospel and even brings his righteousness and wrath to bear on us through it. It's a treadmill. It's a treadmill that we get on, that we try to work and work and work and work and work. Now, for those who are serious about the faith, you probably know this. For those who are not serious about the faith, this probably doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And then I would uh, point you back to the bad news, good news section. How do you get off the treadmill? That's, That's the question, right? How do you get off this treadmill of guilt? You've heard Catholic guilt, right? Heard that one? I grew up Roman Catholic. Got that guilt. Catholic guilt. I don't know what I did, but I'm I'm wrong. So we all have a sense of that. We're all looking for God to somehow have a lightning bolt, right? And you've done something wrong. You've done something, and he's going to get you for that one. That's what I'm talking about. So... Luther studied this text with a passion. I mean, with a passion. And he found the answer. And it was faith alone. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, when Luther looked at this in the original Greek language, not the Latin text that the Catholic Church was using but in the original Greek he saw that this word righteousness revealed meant that it was counted or declared. So righteousness is declared to someone that God counts them as righteous because of their faith. Listen, think of a, a courtroom. Okay? And you're there on Judgment Day. And you are there before the holy, righteous God of heaven and earth. And that you know that you are not righteous, that you're crooked, and you're literally just trembling in fear. And God is going to pronounce a judgment on you. He raises his gavel. He's about to slam it down. And you are sure you are sure that you are going to hear guilty. You are sure that he's going to slam it down and that you're going to hear unrighteous sinner. But he slams it down. And he says, righteous. And you can't believe your ears. I mean, you're stunned. You're shocked by this. He's declared me righteous and you don't know what to say, I mean, you, you come before him and say, oh, Heavenly Father, how can it be that I, this sinner, am righteous before you? And the answer is by faith. By faith alone, in my Son, Christ Jesus. By faith, you are declared righteous. It is faith and faith alone by which God declares you righteous. It is by faith and faith alone because you believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. It is by faith and faith alone that you believe that He died for your sins, all that bad news, and that He rose again and has overcome death. By faith and faith alone, you believe this. In your heart, you believe confess it with your mouth by faith and faith alone. Look, that's it. That's the good news. Faith, faith alone. This is the message throughout the Bible. It's in the Old Testament as well from our reading from Genesis. Just take a look at Abraham. Abraham believed and God counted him righteous. Not because Abraham was so good. By the way, he wasn't. (laughs) We're going through our study in Genesis. He wasn't such a great guy. But God counted him righteous because of faith alone. Think of the centurion, this powerful centurion who had many people under him, who had authority, who had authority over life and death, who probably prayed to pagan gods as well comes humbly before Jesus and says, I believe that you can heal my servant just by your word alone. That's faith, isn't it? To trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus said this, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. we really want to come down the steps and just be with you right now. We want to make the gospel into something that we must strive for, that we have to work for, and it'll crush you, and you'll have no joy. You see, the gospel, it really is good news that all the work has been done for you, The gospel is not something that demands more from you. It is a gift given to you. And the only thing you can do is sit and receive this gift by faith. No struggle. No strife. Peace that surpasses understanding. That amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. You see, when Luther realized this, he said, At this I felt myself straight away born again and to have entered through the open gates into paradise itself from the moment, from that moment, the whole face of Scripture was changed. You can have that joy, that peace, and that assurance by faith and faith alone. So, Here's the question for you. Are you trying to work your way to heaven? If so, stop, because you can't do it. Really, you can't. Receive the free gift. I believe. And then meditate upon the gospel. Let this free gift fill you so that you can also say, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. Amen.